Welcome to this special episode of our podcast and, and for the YouTube channel. This is an opportunity for you to get to know a little bit more about an amazing book that has just been published by my very esteemed friend, Betsy Cohen. And I'm just going to read to you. Well, Betsy, do you want to say hi? Or... Hi, glad to be here. <laughs> Before I make this so formal. Um, Betsy, I'm just going to read to you a little bit about Betsy right from the book. And if you don't have a copy of this amazing book, uh, you might want to after listening to what we have to say here today about how you can get an amazing job, even though you might be uh, coming from a different country, whether you're foreign born or you and, and are a citizen or a green card holder of the United States, or if you're an international student and may be interested in getting some United States experience and possibly staying or just having more options for your future. Betsy is the executive director of the St. Louis Mosaic Project, a program of the World Trade Center St. Louis within the St. Louis Economic Development Partnership. So here we are. This is exactly where we are today in Betsy's office. The organization's goal is to attract and retain international people to St. Louis, where we are here today, um, for their skills and cultures. Betsy has worked with hundreds of international students, relocating immigrants, international executives, and foreign-born authorized job seekers. She holds an MBA from the Harvard Business School and a BA in economics from Wellesley College. So welcome everybody. Um, this, we're gonna basically go through a couple stages today. We're gonna, the book here is in five stages, okay? So the, we're gonna go through different stages. We're gonna start with the story of why, you see that story of why Betsy created this book. So why don't we just jump right on, unless you'd like to make any other kind of remarks or- No, no, like great. I'm really glad to have this opportunity since Stuart and I share this desire to help international people be successful and to leverage what we've learned and give you our best knowledge and tips so that you can be successful. Well, let's jump right on in. Great. Well, for me, um, at the end of the pandemic um, and I was home, I was trying to determine how could I take my knowledge and have more impact, help more people make a difference in the world. And one choice was to do more one-on-one -on -one Zoom coaching, um, but I also was putting many tips on LinkedIn. And so people who were reading my tips said, Betsy, it's hard, hard to read all your tips. Why don't you do a book and put your advice in a book? And so I had never thought I would write a book, but I decided to investigate what it would take to write a book and put my best ideas into a book. And so I did. I started in March last year of 2021, and I launched the book on Citizenship Day, September 2021, in six months. Uh, I felt the time was right because we had a new president who was going to be more open to foreign-born people and welcoming to immigration. Our unemployment rate was low, and I could see vaccines were on the horizon, and so we would have more opportunities for international students and others to come to our country, to come to school, and to want to get jobs. Fantastic. What an amazing motivation. It's it, it's coming from that sense of love, right? Love for our community, love for um, our fellow our fellow individual, fellow person, no matter where they are, no matter where they come from. Let's jump into stage one. So we're going to go through five stages of the job of the book. So stage one is understanding the job hunt. So in this first part of the book, you address the job hunt stress and the different kinds of job hunt stress that exist. What are some of the kinds of job hunt stress that you've seen and how, what are some tips, ideas for our listeners um, 
on how to handle that stress? I think for international job seekers, there are more stresses than there are for um, a native born job seeker. And I think it's important to recognize those and to protect your own um, both motivation and your mental physical health during the process. Mm -hmm. um, issues of language, issues of being in a different country and not always understanding the way the, in, the interview process is going to work, the application process is going to work is very difficult. Also, you may have friends or a spouse or partner who isn't as tuned in to what you're going through, and they may not be as supportive. And so you may feel um, torn with your own emotions as you try to navigate a system that is new to you, just like your home country would be very new for me if I were to try to navigate it. So it's extremely important that you you know, find ways to have a buddy, have a coach or mentor, it could be a friend, it could be someone that's a professional, um, it could be someone in the job market, and that you also find ways to take care of yourself physically and that you take those walks, get out, you see your friends. It's just very important to balance your life. The other thing that we do know is that many of you have family and friends that are around the world in places that are very troubled and um, you are on the phone, you are on WhatsApp, you are talking to them. And so in some ways you have PTSD, post-traumatic stress every day because your loved ones are often in danger's way, are in difficult situations. And so you have to then turn that on and off to go back to your job search. So take care mm -hmm. of yourself. Right. And I, and I think that that stress that our loved ones feel, Betsy, is something that yeah, we're, we're caring. They, they're stressed out about our job hunts too. <laughs> That's right. They have the stress about their own lives. They may be in wonderful conditions where they live and still have a ton of stress about what their son or daughter or well, and they may have is going through. They may have even different expectations for you. <laughs> they, they may think you should have job A and you should be looking for right. job A. Right. And with your own motivations and where you think your skills lie or talking to someone like Stuart, you may think that Career B is better for you. So you could have home pressures as well right. from people who have different expectations about what your career should look like. Right. Yeah. I, re I remember when I first went to China, this was in 1998, uh, maybe before some of the people listening to this were even born. And the funny thing about 1998 for China, which is where I understand about 60% of international students come from, of the million that come every year, 1998 was the very first year where it was legal for college students to job hunt. So prior to that, it wasn't even allowed. And that was the that was the idea that once you graduate from college, you are going to be placed somewhere. And a lot of the parents of international students today, what that means is they didn't have to conduct an initial job hunt themselves. And now they've got, at least for the case of international students, they have now family in, in the United States. So not only did those parents maybe not have those initial struggles now they're talking about doing this in a different country <laughs> so so the stress is the stress is going to be something that that you share which is your own stress it's the, it's the pressure of your peers uh, and you know it doesn't really matter if you're an international student or or, or a foreign-born national here you're going to have all kinds of stress um, yeah so getting I, out walking right yeah, those, being but, with friends and i think also you know to stewart's point families may not understand they may not understand how what well, we talk about networking and relationship building, that's something that is not common in many of our home countries that right. you have to make these relationships and have yeah. your 
communication skills and form so many ways of interacting beside being placed in a job right. or have a network that's going to help you with that job, kind of immediately pulling you into the job. You have to be uh, much more proactive and that's something different. What I really took away from your book was the reminder to, to me too, was that we are in an entrepreneurial culture. And when I, when I, when I read that you, when I read that in your book, that, that, helped me integrate more the this message about networking and, and kind of why we might do it, why we might talk to people we don't know. Well, what are entrepreneurs doing? They're looking to drive interest in their business to raise money from people that most likely they don't already know. Right. And this country, it, compared to many countries, is still a young country, right? Uh, and that country has been built on this entrepreneurial spirit. <laughs> so if you're coming across those trepidations, those concerns about networking and should you, shouldn't you, and the difference between your culture, your home culture and, or your root culture and the United States, uh, be be aware that this, this whole idea of networking is quite natural in this environment. And, and most importantly, the willingness to, to, take calls, yeah. right? The willingness to take those calls is actually, and receive those people for networking is part kind of inborn in, in, in this culture. It's born, it's yes. part of this culture. So, so we won't have to solve that. We won't try to solve no. that problem for everyone right now. Um, but just be aware that that there is that thread of entrepreneurship kind of woven throughout everything, including the job hunt. Uh, and it's something that you can you can adopt as your own, as you know, as a as a as a spirit in in the way you search. So stress and time. I've also read in your book that there um, there's a relationship between stress of job hunting and then the timing that we need to take for the job hunt. And you've indicated that a U.S. job hunt can take between six. You should allocate six and or twelve months between that. Um, my question here, and you can address it for the general. Uh, group. But my question here is, what does that mean for how international students should time their own job hunts? Because they're coming in with, you know, either a four-year window or a two-year window, or even sometimes a, an 11-month window to job hunt. How do we reconcile a job hunt taking six to 12 months when we might be in school most of that time? Yes, I think um, it, it's a it's a challenge um, as a student. On the other hand, uh, I think that if you are aware of it earlier in your um, process, you will be better because you will find more natural ways to make relationships with people that are in the job market. And those relationships, reaching out to people, forming LinkedIn connections, uh, attending an event in your region for, it could be an Asian Chamber of Commerce or a Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, getting off campus. If you're thinking earlier on that it's going to take you longer, you will start those relationship building activities earlier. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that it's impossible if you wait and see when the jobs come and with low unemployment, you know, there will be jobs that are posted later and you can interview successfully. But what we do see is that those that have built those relationships earlier and are aware of it earlier, mm -hmm. that it's going to take time, do that groundwork mm -hmm. um, and are thinking about how can they set themselves up for longer term success. Mm -hmm. Most well said. My my vision for that, Betsy, is that we could be we could be talking about a job hunt for the United States that might even start before maybe just in that month of January or February before when someone gets the offer to come to the United States to attend university in principle, because Zoom and networking over video is so accessible, 
one could imagine actually starting that whole process on the day that they get admitted to a university, knowing that it's going to be another five or six months before they come to the United States. I you agree. could start then, right? You could. And I think that understanding how important LinkedIn is, is something that, again, international students need to think about learning how to use LinkedIn to their advantage. And through LinkedIn, you can put in the name of the university, you could put in the city, you can put in a word engineering, uh, accounting, and it will bring up the names of people that were graduates of that school that are in that field. You could be reaching out saying, I've been accepted. I'd like your advice. I'd mm -hmm. like to know the two things that you thought were valuable about being a student there. And so you can make small requests of people and half the time they will respond to you. Half mm. the time they won't, mm. but half the time they will. Mm. And so you have that ability because of Zoom, because of LinkedIn to form these relationships or at least make an introduction mm -hmm. early on and begin that process. Mm -hmm. I was, that reminds me, I was just up in New York City for a conference for my alumni association. And I, I, when, I, when I make these trips, I try to meet with my students, my clients, and some of them are in New York City. And I met with one of my clients, Sarah, and she, in her, her situation is she had, we had worked together uh, through my 12 week program and very quickly within, within week three of the program, she had gotten an offer with a large insurance firm in New York city and a great analytics job. And that's when the, that's when the happy story ends because she got shortly got laid off uh, shortly after got laid off, unfortunately. So um, we jumped back into the job hunt together and a couple weeks passed and she got another offer this time for Goldman Sachs, even better. No, in, okay, so this this this, uh, this sounds, you know, on the surface, like a happy, you know, the story is going to have a happy ending. But what's going on, um, what's going on behind the scenes is that a job hunter is facing those kinds of uncertainties, like, would they connect with me or would they not connect with me? And she, Sarah said something that I wanted to share with all of you, which was that I'm, I'm not someone who's going to fail for the lack of trying. She's like, that's kind of who I am. So I can, so Stuart has prepared these templates and these ways to message with people to, to get them to network with me. He has that, he's prepared that, but just even following that advice is scary, right? Because what about the prospect of rejection? Yeah. And and because it's real and because, and the rejection is because people might, all kinds of reasons, they're busy, they have stuff going on in their lives and they never connect, for example. Her point was this, I could, not send these messages, Make not make this attempt. Whatever that attempt is that's on your plate today, maybe it's not LinkedIn, yeah. maybe it's sending a resume. I could not make that attempt and guarantee myself a zero response. Or I could make that attempt and maybe get a response, maybe at a 50% success right. rate. So which would you go for? Right. What would you choose? And you don't have to answer that right now. We don't have to answer that. But something to think about in terms of like, hmm, would I want to fail having tried for never tried, never tried? And I can just tell you the way that story is going to end for you is if you are trying, <laughs> you're going to succeed. It, it's going to happen because you're going to be, you're going to be on that path. The momentum is going to build and you are going to figure things out. So that um, the, stre the, the, the stress of the job hunt can often revolve around just there's that, that there's so much we can say about just that topic right there. We are still on stage one though. So let's keep moving yeah. here because we got a lot of good stuff. Um, one, one of the things about stress and, and, and managing the job hunt and understanding the job hunt is this question of time. And for students, a huge issue is managing time. And what I've seen is that there's, for students, it's easy to always have a plan to graduate. 
I'm, I know what I'm doing here. I'm here to graduate. I'm here to get, get good grades and so on. But so sometimes there's no plan beyond that. There's, there's, no, there's no plan to, to do anything beyond graduating from the program. Uh, and as a result, academics and job hunting kind of happen in sequence. So first I'm going to job hunt, and, or first I'm going to do my academics, and then I'm going to job hunt. Uh, the reality is that well, we have this six to 12 month time that we need to anticipate, and the whole thing with graduating and selecting your OPT start date, and then this whole thing with the OPT grace period clock, where you can't have 90 more than 90 days of unemployment before you have to leave the country and navigating that whole uh that whole there's an art uh to to navigating that in in in, in the end it's just a bunch of stress that we have to to deal with um <clears throat> so you visit a lot of campuses uh and 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 just as in a role of being with the st louis mosaic project as an author uh sharing your new book what do you see? What do you see going on on campuses these days as regards students and their job hunts, specifically international students? Well, I, th I think you have on your um, LinkedIn postings and videos, you talk about that OPT clock and how to start it, how to stop it, how to how to manage it. But often uh, the students and the career service offices are not um, in sync with each other. They're not aligned because the uh, career service office has been talking about it all year. But to your point, the student has thought about, I need to graduate, and then I'm going to look. Um, and so they often come to the party a little late. Mm. And then they have to figure out, what is that OPT going to be? Did I already have CPT time, OPT time? What can I do? What do these uh, alphabets mean? And I, I think that that's um, a challenge to understand it. And I think it also comes back to having that early understanding of what your major is and whether or not it's going to give you one year of optional practical training or three years of optional practical training. Mm -hmm. And it's very exciting that under the current administration, 22 new uh, majors have been qualified to be STEM where you can work for three years for the employer staying on your student F visa. Uh, we have to educate the employers better that you can do that. Mm -hmm. um, but for you to be sure as you go through your studies that you have made the right major choice mm -hmm. is extremely important. And sometimes that decision happens too late as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, sometimes I've had the chance to work with students at the major declaration stage and there was a big course correction we made yeah. because that information came to light about the STEM versus non-STEM OPT and that 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 has uh, that has been a strategic choice for some people Yes. Uh, in terms of, oh, I was going to be a finance major. Nope, no, I'm not. Nope, I'm going to be a business analytics major. Yes. And the the passion can for finance can still can still flourish you might approach finance from a business uh, analytics point of view for example do you have any stories about international students and their and their journeys that that come to mind right now in terms of just kind of understanding the job hunt or being on campus um, and talking with them yes Your book I, specifically yes so has, has some I, I have a number of stories in, in there about the students that have um come i've changed the names and the countries of the students but um you know, I, I have seen uh, the students that um, make these relationships with um, finance companies, with some of our large global companies that are used to this, um, have a easier path of it. Those that are trying to be hired by um, companies that have never had an international student have to work harder at educating the employer. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I've seen kind of between them. Um, in terms of story-wise, um, 
one of the students at my own alma mater uh, went looking for um, definitely an analytics job. And she talked to a lot of different companies and was uh, had a lot of rejections. And finally, working the alumni angle really got her in the door. And I think that that's something really important that um, if you're making a cold call or writing to someone that you have no relationship with, it's harder. But certainly a lot of the international students, if they can talk through their alumni online network, mm -hmm. uh, your own mm -hmm. alumni network is the most interested in seeing you be successful right. because it reflects well on them as well. Yeah, your success is their success. And your success, success is right. their success. So if you say, I'd like to have 10 minutes of your time, they will do that. Or if you mm -hmm. say, I'd like to come in and bring you a cup of coffee or tea, they're more willing to do it. So right. I've seen that be uh, one of the good stories. Yeah. And don't spill the coffee. I've actually done the whole bring the coffee thing, but then I also spilled it <laughs> all over the table. Uh, try to avoid that if you can. <laughs> so don't do that, but bring the coffee. Absolutely. Um, what was that? Was that a, was that a Wellesley alum or yeah, a Harvard Wellesley alum? student? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So cool. Um, let's jump into section two, stage two of the book. Um, this is called stage two right here. Stage number two, the pre-interview tips is what it's called here. Uh, so we're talking about pre-interview tips, um, from your perspective, what is what are what are the topics that encompass pre-interview? Like what what are we thinking about? What are we talking well, about? Well, pre-interview is making sure that your resume is strong and it's not in a CV format because sometimes internationals have a CV type format that is too long. Uh, it doesn't stress their work experience. It puts in appropriate things. And I know working with you, you help them make sure that they're getting the right material on it. They're not mm -hmm. putting a picture. Uh, on their resume, things like that. They're not mm -hmm. putting their family relationships there. Mm -hmm. um, and that, then they then develop that plan for how they're going to form relationships mm -hmm. and have a master plan that lays out all the things that it's going to take for them to do. And I think yeah. that's important. And I think then building the LinkedIn profile and starting to have relationships, going to events to network and coming up with the right ways to form those relationships. Uh, I talk in the book about how do you make the small talk? Mm -hmm. um, how do you, if you're going to sit next to me, um, I don't want to hear that you're the best in data analytics, but what are the things that you might want to engage me on as a discussion? If we're standing next to each other um, at a cocktail party, what could you ask me mm -hmm. um, that's going to make me enjoy talking to you? Because it's about that sense of enjoyment and getting to know you and for you wanting to get to know me, that makes for a better relationship. And then I'm going to be willing to uh, maybe invite you in to shadow with me for a day or invite you to come to an event that we have or mm -hmm. make an introduction to the hiring team. Mm -hmm. But it's all those things that are forming relationships that happen. Yeah. And I noticed that in the book specifically, you have a section where you address what specific topics could yeah. be part of that discussion when you meet somebody for the first time, which, yeah. which is a good reason to get this book, by the way, just that by itself. Um, I have found that one piece of advice that has been controversial for me in the sharing of, um, you know, of, of pre-interview advice um, relates to the use of easily to pronounce uh, English names. And you recommend taking an easy to pronounce English name in the book. Um, and you know, I myself, in my experience, when I was in China, I, for probably 10 years of my, of my career, which was living and working in China, I used a, a Chinese name. And for me, that was to maximize ease of communication. Um, and and I've all, I found that to be controversial because I have taken that 
idea to uh, into a school environment and, and taught the idea of using an easily pronounced English name. <clears throat> and there's there there was, I think, I think I kind of like caused the university to have a meltdown because the students revolted. Yeah. <laughs> they were, they were, they they looked at this from the aspect of what's inclusive. Right. And what's and DEI. And I'm not there. I mean, I'm a huge, I am a, I'm a supporter of inclusiveness and openness. And from my perspective, I was just trying to think, okay, what's a thing that can help this person quickly connect with another human being on this planet and reduce and, and but then the argument, the, the pushback is, well, Stuart, you should, you know, we shouldn't be, you know, uh, uh, we shouldn't be letting this bias or unconscious bias as it might be, you know, decide how we call ourselves. You know. Yeah, and, I think it's a great question. Um, and there is research on this. It shows, again, with resumes, if the same resume is sent in to a job, a man's name is taken more often than a female name on the same job resume for the same application. Mm -hmm. uh, Caucasian names are taken over African-American names. Uh, in, you know, Caucasian names are taken over names that seem to be a foreign name. And so there are biases in our system. And so the question is, do you want to um, hold to what you do um, and also have less chances, or do you want to modify it in a way that is acceptable to both the employer or that potential interviewer and that you don't feel is necessarily compromising your own personal values? So right. I think there are a range of things. One, you can have a nickname. You can say your own name, and then you can have a nickname that you put in quotes. Um, you can use your authentic name um, right from the start and know that it may limit you and you're willing to accept that because if it's a name that I can't say, we're sitting here in my office and if I can't say your name, I am not going to walk next door and introduce you. I just won't Maybe do it. Be shy. I, I just won't shy. do it because yeah. I can't say your name. You're shy and, and so as, I'm going yeah. to either consciously or unconsciously not be willing to do that. And that's, you know, again, a, a cost to you for meeting people. Or you can use a nickname and hope then that once you're hired, you can train me on your authentic name right. and say, you know, Betsy, yes, my nickname was Nook, but once I start working with you, my real name is Savet Serini, and I would like you to use that and then encourage me to use your authentic name. So I think it's a choice. I also think it relates to using your uh, Gmail, um, LinkedIn, trying to be consistent so that mm -hmm. it's easy when I see your resume, when I introduce you, when I look at you up on LinkedIn or your Gmail account, that it's consistent. Um, and that makes it easier for me right. to want to hire you. So if you do it, you make it easier for you. And if right. you vary from that, you may feel better about yourself, but it just be aware that that's something that could be a little bit limiting. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I just for me, having, having lived in different countries, yeah. I, I just don't tend to wear that, that name as, 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 as to wear that name as, as it as though it represents who I am necessarily, but it's funny though because I'm Stuart, and certain people are not allowed to call me Stu. <laughs> you know, it's like my parents would never call me Stu, but some people will. You know, so it's funny. Even just like our own names, we have these like like Are you Elizabeth or are you Betsy? Right. Are you Elizabeth to some people? I am Elizabeth to some people. I am <laughs> Betsy to some people. But when I lived in France, I used the name Elise. Okay. Because they don't use Betsy, but they do use Elise. And mm -hmm. so, again, I wanted to have a name 
that was uh, of the culture because I wanted to have it be a good fit mm -hmm. because I wanted to be part of their culture. Right. Um, I didn't want to have them use my name and have it be jarring or right. a disconnect. Right. I wanted to be part of their world and be successful right. there. So, but I think the times have changed and that mm -hmm. idea of using your authentic name has more validity now than ever. And if you want to keep your authentic name, I think you should just know that there may be ways you shorten it. There may be ways that you find the nickname within your authentic name. You don't have to name that's totally different, um, but you might find a way to make it easier for me to help you. Well said. Cover letters. Yes. Yes, yes or no? Yes. Yes. Cover letters. Yes. Okay. Why? Why? Yes. Um, even when you apply, sometimes they just say to upload your resume and they don't even ask for a cover letter, but you can do the PDF, you know, you can do it in a way that you attach a cover mm -hmm. letter. I think that the cover letter allows you to make the two or three points about why you really are a good candidate for that job, because your resume may have one page or maximum two page of experiences that may not be clear to me as the hiring manager or the HR talent acquisition person. Why do you think you would be good to work for me at my bank, mm -hmm. at my university. But if you say, these are the three things I've done that really prepare me to excel at what you need, I'm going to be more favorable. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I've just seen that. I have hired many people myself and I know it's hard to do and I know it's extra work, but I think it may mean the difference of your being in the short pile that is given a phone interview before you're invited in or being put in the pile that they don't bother with. Yep. Okay. Okay. So it's a yes. Cover letters are yes. For your for your note here, networking uh, again still part of section two of this book. You're talking about networking, and there is you talk about the resistance to networking that that can arise. Networking, yes or no? I would say networking is really better discussed as relationship building, and I say definitely yes. Uh, people who know you, who like you, we talk in the book about likability. Um, if they like you, they are going to uh, go the extra mile for you. They're going to want you to come to a reception. They're going to want you to come to an event. So I think that that idea that that whether you call it networking, relationship building, putting yourself with other people so they will have a chance to know you and bring you forward, I think is so important. Yeah, I noticed that on especially on uh, LinkedIn today, the the there are influencers out there like Jerry Lee, Reno Perry. Uh, Austin Belchek, you know, they're constantly talking about networking or getting hired without a resume. So there's something there's something to be said there, right? It's not just well, there is, and sometimes know. international students, um, because they're going to have to hire you into a job in some ways that an American cannot do, um, they need to really understand who you are and like you and want to go the extra mile. One of the words I use in the book, um, particularly in the chapter about international students is the word irresistible. And mm. that is the word, I almost called the book that, and there were some reasons that I didn't. But mm. for an international student, you need to be irresistible so that mm. the employer will decide that if they need to hire an immigration lawyer, they will. Right. If they need to take extra time, they will. Um, if they have to uh, write a job description because they met you and they thought you were captivating and smart and a problem solver and would be a great addition they may have to create a job description mm -hmm. that they're going to post that you uniquely can fill mm -hmm. and that they then can say, oh, you know, in this financial firm, we never had anybody that needed to have global insights before. But now we're going to write that job description that the person needs insights into the Indian market. Right. Now we do. And now we, we need, do. We and when you insights. write that job, it suddenly looks 
amazing like you. And so that's because you were in that relationship, you networked and they were uh, impressed with you. They thought you were irresistible and then they wanted you. That is such a something. So it's a, a new a new vision of how one might get a job compared to what we're mostly hearing. Submit your resume, and then there's this right dried and cut job, job you that's might out fit there. Into. Yeah, you fit that job, but they create jobs. And I, you know, a number of our employers in St. Louis um, and around the country that say they don't hire international students, that they don't sponsor visas. Every one of them I know actually has done it when somebody was irresistible and that they thought would be a problem solver and a very valuable addition to the team. Mm. They create it. Wow. I mean, I think you've covered this, but one of my questions would be, you know, what is what has been the most consistent argument that has so you've you've come across people who have been resistant to the concept of networking. What has been an argument that you've seen that has convinced other people to network when in fact they might have had that hesitation? I think to understand the American um, importance of likability mm -hmm. and that relationship and that that will be a tiebreaker. And so if you can do your job and sit there and, quote, do the job, somebody who has an ability to go beyond that is going to not only get the job in the beginning, but will be promoted. And so it, it right. works really both short term and long term for you to understand the importance in the American market of those relationships and of having that likability factor mm -hmm. with the people you're going to interact with. Yeah, we're going to we're going to talk talk more about that in yeah. stage five. Uh, the the idea of networking now, uh, it's it my my observation is that it's not just about getting the job today because if you become that person, let's say you get hired, and you you did have that comfort with networking, and you will get hired. By the way, I know you're going to do it. Um, how are you, how do you stay? How do you be retained by that company? How do you receive promotions? Is it and what you're what we'll get to in that section is it's not just based on your work product. Correct. Right? There's just something else. There's other factor Definitely. involved, and the idea of, of networking plays a, a large role there. What about those people who are on a campus? Um, and is it is it enough to network with your professors? I think professors can be helpful. Um, some of them have business connections. Some of them are asked by employers, you know, who are your three best accounting students or who are your three best financial students? So they are asked mm -hmm. and they are often viewed as a, uh, a source mm -hmm. of talent. But there are many ways you can go beyond the campus, both physically and on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, depending on what you see, there can be a um, financial management association in your community and you can go to their meetings. We have a American Marketing Association in St. Louis. They have a monthly lunch. You mm -hmm. could go. The AMA. The right. AMA. And so right. in each city, there's an AMA. And if you're in marketing, you can go. And if you're sitting next to me, because I was a marketing executive at Nestle, if you're sitting next to me and talking about your marketing and what you're learning and what's new in the marketing field, I'm going to find that very interesting. Mm -hmm. So you have to get yourself to that lunch. Or you might say, oh, the American Marketing Association has a speaker from this company. I can't make it to the lunch, but I'm going to connect with LinkedIn with that speaker and say, you know, I'm so sorry I can't be at the lunch with you, but I would love to have a discussion with you. Or maybe you could send me some information uh, after you give the talk about your speech and I would mm -hmm. love to follow up. So you have to be looking. You can also connect. There's chambers of commerce. There's 
chambers for the engineer society. There's chambers for the Asian community, the or the society. Spanish community, yeah. the, C, the, the CPA society. There are networks in every community that are sitting there waiting. And they really often would love to have international students there. You can volunteer. Sometimes you might see, for example, that they're having a luncheon and it's going to be $50. You might call them and say, I can't afford $50, but could I volunteer and work your front desk and then have a free lunch because I'm going to come help you? They may well say yes. And again, it's my 50% rule. 50% of the time, they'll say, I'm sorry, we can't do that. 50% of the time, someone's going to say, that's a great idea. We would love to have you. And yes, we'll make it free for you if you come and help us volunteer. Mm, I think I just discovered the secret to having an awesome life. Every time you get that question in your mind, should you or should you not? 50%. Just keep doing that over and over and you'll be building those successful moments on top of each other. One, 50% yeah. of the time you'll be successful. And when you're turned down, what you'll just say is, okay, that's one of the 50% no. The next right. time it will be a 50% yes. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. I remember, you know, even for me, I remember when I was in graduate school looking for a job, I had an internship. And this is the key internship where you're, you're supposed to get the return offer. And that's supposed to be the, the end of your job hunt because you've successfully completed that internship. And I did not get a return offer. And the, that, that caused me to reflect a lot on what I was doing here, right? And the fact that I didn't get the return offer shined an important light on things for me. Right. Oh, why not? And it compelled me to figure out the things that I didn't know the benefit of the internship was that I learned about this field, this industry, and I knew I liked it. And then not getting the return offer then propelled me to go and research those things that I need to have so that the full-time offer materialized. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and so that that, right. that that propelled me. So yeah, that's another that's another aspect of this whole thing with the 50, 50% is at the end of the day, uh, it might just be 100%. You always win when you make the effort because right. it's either you get the thing or you don't get the thing and you get the learnings as to why you didn't get the thing and that that propels you to get the thing that's right right um are there what so another question here is um uh, let me just jump to internships because we were talking about that why are these and you talk about this in the book why are these traditionally hard to get for foreign-born individuals well, often the companies uh, and the organizations look at internships as a way to test the talent to see if they want to give them a full-time offer to come back. Mm -hmm. And so if the organization is not in the um, norm for them to have international people hired full-time, they then won't take them in the internship program mm -hmm. because they say, why would I use that spot if I'm not going to be able to consider you for a full-time job? And this gets into the difficulty between the hiring managers, the HR departments, the corporate policies. And so they often will say, no, can't even have you as an intern mm. um, because we're not going to be able to hire you full time. I see. And so then that, so then the the solution to that is to, of course, read this book, <laughs> acquire this book and, and follow the steps uh, specifically relating to what we just talked about in a nutshell. It's becoming that irresistible. Well, and there's some ways. Right? So for example, you might say, um, could I come in and shadow somebody for two days? Right. Uh, that's not an internship. But if you get in there and could spend two days with mm. someone, then they find you know may find you to be so terrific they mm. want to invite you back. Or you could do a project through your university. You could say, I really want to learn about Emerson. Um, I wonder if I could do my capstone project at Emerson. Mm. And so you then do a project with one of those business leaders 
So again, you weren't an intern, but you did a project and someone got to meet you and they then found out you were so smart. You are irresistible. They want to bring you back. Mm -hmm. They're going to violate the rules. They don't normally do this, mm -hmm. but they're going to bring you back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's that's an interesting point. So the, the thing about rules, right? Rules get broken um, all the time. <laughs> the idea of having, say, a sponsorship policy, the, the companies are not in service of a policy. They're there to help their customers make money, be successful. They're there to solve problems in the market. That's how they get paid. Or they're a nonprofit and they're there to have an impact, like the St. Louis Mosaic Project, like the St. Louis Economic Development uh, Partnership. They're not, not necessarily there in service of an HR policy. And I think we, sometimes we miss that. Well, and often the hiring manager right. may want to hire you, but they are being told by HR they can't. Mm -hmm. And so then they need to find a different way to bring you in. Mm -hmm. um, and then they have to find another way around it. So they do that. Yeah, maybe it's as they simple as changing the job description. Now we need India expertise. Now we need China right. expertise. And then HR is like, oh, well, okay, well, I guess we need to expand our pool of potential That's applicants right. here and consider the international That's right. component there. Let's move into stage three. Yeah. So stage three is the interview process and preparation. So welcome to stage three. We're talking about the interview process and preparation. So your tips. So you say on page 92, you say something really important here about interview process and preparation. Um, well, we actually have kind of anticipated this already. Certain firms that do not sponsor international students may still hire. So I guess we kind of touched on that, but anything more to say on that? So certain certain companies that I mean, we kind of did, right? There's the, the idea of the policy versus the, the business need. You know, so, it's identifying maybe a new solution, a new problem, understanding what's going to be more global, where their business may be going, mm -hmm. find a person that is likely to maybe need what you have that's special, mm -hmm. and then create something unique. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's a lot there. Um, the idea there should be, uh, I think one of the takeaways, remember one thing, I think it's this, the, 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 the policy is just a policy. You have so many unique talents that you can bring to the table don't be the best kept secret. Be the best new hire. Let them come to know you. Um, interview process and preparation. Um, coding of students as international is happening. But how we respond is up to us, right? So coding somebody as a foreign-born person or needing sponsorship or not. I see that coding happening a lot. I see it. Um, I see coding as being a way to organize people into different groups and in a way is part of the the the, the problem that we have in our society regarding bias um, how we respond that was up to us so we don't have to necessarily self-code ourselves do we we don't have to say well i'm an international student and therefore i'm subject to the categorization that someone has set up for me well, and I think I think because of uh, what we've gone through with the pandemic and hybrid work and remote work, it's a new ballgame. And so I think the idea that uh, international students and the way a company might say, I didn't realize I could have you for three years under your F visa or you don't need to be sponsored for several years. But if you do get sponsored, that's one thing. But maybe you'll keep working for us in your home country. That is something you can bring up to them. Because more and more organizations now are letting people work remotely. And that may mean in your home country as well, at which point they may then bring you back again. Mm -hmm. For those STEM students, you have the opportunity to be sponsored up to three times. 
You mean you have three bites of the apple, as they say. Three times where they can apply for your H-1B. And there are actually some international students that are happy to work for three years and know they will return to their home country and are not going to be sponsored. They just want to get that experience for their long-term career success. Yeah, when you when you come to the United States and you get work experience, it's not necessarily required that you stay here forever. Right. Uh, what I think is unique about coming to a different country and getting work experience there is that it increases your options. Well, and I also mentioned in the book, and as an example, that things change. Uh, our rules change as a country. Um, and also, for example, sometimes people get married, love happens. Mm-hmm. And so when people get married, then all of a sudden um, they can stay. Actually, uh, one of the members of my team, uh, Annie, was the same situation. She's from Malawi and she was at University of Missouri. And then she ended up marrying an American. So instead of leaving after one year, she got married and now she has legal status to stay and is now our long-term employee. So Mm -hmm. I think that's important. The other thing in the interviewing that I do talk about is depending on the country you come from, understanding how to do good interviews on Zoom and how to do good interviews in person, particularly when they're multiple people, Mm -hmm. um, that in our country, we're more Uh, flat and not hierarchical. And sometimes with the countries that the international students come from, they may want to talk to the most senior person on the Zoom call or the senior person at the table. And here, that would be a negative. You need Mm -hmm. to give everybody equal time. Um, And in some ways, you might want to start with the lower ranked person and Mm -hmm. move up, Mm -hmm. but don't only talk to the highest ranked person thinking they're the decision maker. Because if you only talk to them, the other people may say, this person is not a team player. Right, right. Yeah, when I was working with one of my students, she um, she did initiate the conversation with her one of her dream companies at the director level. Quickly, that became, please speak with the analysts and associates. Yes. And their their interactions then led to a a, a another meeting with the director yeah. because the director has to see okay is this person going to get along well with the members of our team? I'm not going to, I'm not going to like somebody and then assign them into our team. I'm going to think about this in the context of what is it like to have this person on this team from the perspective of my analysts, my associates, the secretary or the administrative assistant, all of that. Paying attention to any of the administrative people. Everyone is really important because it's kind of the opposite of the diversity. We want diversity, but we also want people that are going to be, uh, enjoyable to work with, to get along with each other. So they need to fit, but they also need to be diverse, which is kind of a contradiction. And and not to um, not to leave out um, anything, and this book does talk about some really great specific interview strategies. In particular, we, uh, we see Betsy talking about the STAR method, situation, action, and results in terms of how to structure your interview responses yes. to questions like that. So we've been touching on some kind of high level concepts here in this section, uh, this discussion of interview process and preparation. Betsy also goes on into some of the details there about how to specifically structure your interview preparation. And how do you know when yeah. someone like Stuart starts a discussion with you as an interview, um, is it gonna be a chronological interview or is it gonna be behavioral and how do you prepare? Because when you hear them say one kind of question, you need to say, aha, it's this kind of an interview or it's that kind of an interview. And based on what I write in the book, I give you some tips on how to do that. Okay, wonderful. Then it's on to step four. Yeah. Step four, stage four, for everyone uh, following the cue cards. This is everyone's favorite section. This is the section on accepting a job offer. 
I, I like that section very much. How to navigate a job offer is a good problem to have. Um, what are some points that we should make sure we cover when we're anticipating or the process of accepting yeah. or evaluating an offer? In some cultures, you do not have the ability to negotiate a job offer. And in the United States, uh, you often do have some ability to negotiate. Um, it may depend, but you can test that. And there are several things that you may want to test the water. Often, uh, the hiring manager has not given the full amount of money in the offer. They're holding back a little bit because they know you may come back and ask for a little bit more money. Um, but if you ask for three or four or five things, they are likely to try to give you two of them um, because they right. want you to be happy. Right. So you need to say, I'm going to ask for several things and see what they maybe can do a little better right. because they want me. It might be negotiating the start date. It might be that there are a certain number of paid vacation days mm -hmm. um, and you, because you need to get to India once or twice a year, you need more days, either paid or unpaid. You may put that on the table and mm -hmm. say, you know, I really would like to have five other days that are paid vacation days mm -hmm. because I do want to return to India once a year. You may want to um, have something about flexibility of your work day, all kinds of things that you could suggest that could be monetary or they also could be about vacation days they could be about start and you can discuss that um but if you just accept it as it is there's not a problem with that but you may not be getting what you want and often when i'm talking to hr professionals i explain to them that you know the international candidates may need some additional flexibility particularly for travel mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay that is an amazing point this is the idea of we have this job offer but let's not lose sight of our quality of life Let's not lose sight of why we're working. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not working just to work. We're and looking the, to, right? And the other thing, though, that I do discuss is there's two different ways that you could ask this. One is you might say, you've offered me this. Um, I really want this. And you can say it in a way that's like, if I don't get it, I don't want the job. And, and this is going to be an unpleasant person. Mm -hmm. Or you can say, I am so excited about starting work. Um, but I have a few things I would like to request mm. if these are possible. And I, I give some very specific language in the book because you want the hiring manager, you know, Stuart, Betsy, you want us to say, oh, she really wants to work with us, but she is asking for a few other things. What can we give her? What can we do to sweeten this a little bit? We don't want to say, oh my gosh, what a rude person. Right, we right. really don't want her. Okay. We're going to withdraw the offer. Right, right, right. right. I mean, that is still, you're still in a sense being interviewed even up into those those stages, right? Um, and, and it's an at-will at work in, in environment. So we need to put, be putting our best foot forward in how we you know, construe those messages, convey ourselves, having yes. a coach or mentor to overlook those messages. I think that in my 12-week uh, career accelerator program, yes. that is probably the thing that I do the most of because we have one aspect of the coaching is an instant messaging type of capacity where people can run things by me throughout the day. Yes, and a great. lot of it is email. A lot of it is, hey, how is the tone here? And I find myself uh, less and less having to work with grammar or spelling or things like that. But mostly, are you con constructing an email where you're really making your point well? And are you are you using language that is, that is um, gentle, which is positive, which is pleasant? Yes. And ask. I think the value that Stuart's text would be to give you the confidence that you have said it right and right. that you said it in a respectful, positive way that's going to leave a good impression. I think that's going to be so valuable in the coaching that Stuart gives you. 
one thing that we started to do, thank you. One thing that we started to do was to actually work with, so each client creates what I call an email library. So we create a, a doc, a, usually it's a Google doc. And for every situation, so people are coming in, how does this, how does this, first of all, how does this look? And we tweak it, we get to the final draft, and then the client can put it into their library, which they take for their life. Right? So my job as, right. as a career coach is not to have someone uh, uh, constantly asking how to create that request to connect or that follow-up message. It's to have that library so that it becomes intuitive. It has to kind of become part of us. It, that's And that's kind of how we be, we rise up to become that professional that we want to be, whether it's at Google or Goldman Sachs. We are rising to that level of professionalism that we want to attain, and it becomes internal. Well, and that's so important because the person reading your correspondence with them and your communication, they have unconscious bias. And just like they have an unconscious bias against certain names, yeah. um, they have an unconscious bias if you're not using uh, the language in a way that is the way we use it. Right. Um, so, for example, sometimes international people write me and they write, you know, my dearest Betsy. Um, and I write, you know, when I'm coaching people, I say, you know, don't address it as my dearest Betsy, you know, <laughs> dear Betsy. Uh, but it's right. not my dearest Betsy, because <laughs> when you write things that don't sound right, that may make the person reading it feel you're not going to be a good fit. Right. So I think the kind of language that Stuart helps with is so important in that document and sharing all the kinds of uh, letters and correspondence so that you sound right. Yeah. Internalizing that sounding right and then internalizing that over a period of time. Let's jump into the, is there anything else we should cover no. about accepting job offers? All right, let's jump into stage five. So stage five is advancing your workplace career. So welcome to stage five. And this is stage five of the book here, what we're talking about. We talk about, and, and so the way I wanted to, to start off the conversation here on stage five is we talk about sponsorship a lot in terms of support for a work visa. But the term goes deeper than that, as you explain in the book. We can also have sponsors in our workplace. So we're hired and we also have an internal sponsor. And it's in a way, people who have your back in some way, people who are looking out for you. Tell me a little bit more about what you have to say about the concept of a sponsor. It's not just a legal term right. here. It's a, right. right? Right, no, it's about once you're in an organization, um, you know, in some ways, if you do a good job, you will be patted on your head and told to just keep doing that job. And you may or may not be put forward for additional assignments, growth, or opportunities. Um, and what's important is that people above you or several very specific kinds of people see your value and put your name forward. Mm -hmm. And so you need people who are in the organization who are really sponsors and champions of you. Mm -hmm. And so that's up to you either to officially in some organizations or unofficially make relationships. And it's not always by your work and it might not be a direct reporting relationship, but you identify someone who has knowledge or who has a relationship or a reason that you think you could connect with them. Maybe you meet with them once a quarter and share what you're doing, get mm -hmm. their advice but you build that bridge so that they can be a supporter of you in your growth. Do any examples or stories come to mind in that regard for you? Well, definitely, because in my- People you work with? Yeah, in my career at Nestle, I saw that all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes these were done officially through various of the employee resource groups, through the women's networks groups. And sometimes they were more informal based on the relationships that people made through um, 
activities outside the office or boards that people were on or mm -hmm. opportunities within the company, serving on the United Way task force or team. Mm -hmm. You get to meet more people in a company and then you find those people who are going to be your allies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The the thing that I heard spoke the so the 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 the, the contrast that to someone who who just does good work and doesn't build relationships internally doesn't find a sponsor internally, and then there's an economic downturn or some decision to reorganize. Guess guess which people let go or let go first. It has not a lot to do necessarily with the work product. It's right. more about. Who do, does the senior managing director have a relationship with? You know, the people in the room making those difficult decisions are going to have relationships with people. It and, also relates to kind of how you have made yourself valuable more than the work. Mm. And, and I think it relates to even the employee resource groups. And for example, if you're yes. on a campus, you could reach out to um Benson Hills Employee Resource Group or to Goldman Sachs's Women's Network, or you could reach out to people who are in an affinity group and meet them. But when you're in the company, joining those groups gives you a chance to make relationships. You also may become a leader in one of these other organizations within the company, and that positions you to be a future leader um, because you have shown that you have the ability to do more. So it can help you get in the organization. It can help you build the organization. Mm -hmm. It can help you advance and it can protect you if there are layoffs. Where can we find your book? Welcome to the USA. <laughs> You're hired a guide for foreign born people seeking jobs. Uh, it's available um, at all of the online book retailers. And in St. Louis, it's at left bank books and it's a, uh, easy to get and it will be to you within several days. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. You're also welcome to reach out to me on LinkedIn to connect. And again, you know, come with a question, come with a thought, come with an idea. Don't just say, can I connect, but start to form a relationship with me or with anyone else that you want to build that bridge. Wonderful. Well, it's been such a privilege to hang out here. We're, we're here at the St. Louis Economic Development Partnership here with Betsy. Betsy is the head of the St. Louis Mosaic Project, also the creator of the whole the whole shebang. Right, this is your this is your creation here. This whole the the, the St. Louis Mosaic Project is Betsy's uh, initiative here, and it's flourished uh, so well. Um, I'm Stuart Bradley. I am the creator of the twelve week career accelerator program. I am a mentor to our international students, especially. Uh, it's not easy for domestic students either. <laughs> Um, as I experienced. And so my, you know, my experiences have been uh, fruitful in the sense that wherever I fell down and had to get back up, there was always a learning there, always a teaching there. And so my, my mission is to help, uh, help us uh, advance in a way that I found, you know, impossible at times or, or, or unable to, to do so. Now with this additional information, we can quickly download lessons that might take three, five, 10 years to learn or never, and employ them right away. And one of those, and you know, one of those things that I thought would be so valuable is this book. So if you don't have a copy, grab a copy. It's on Amazon. You can find it in physical bookstores, as Betsy mentioned. And if you get a moment uh, and you like this video, please like it. If you're on the podcast and listening to this podcast, uh, drop a comment. Let me know how you liked it. Let you know. Let let us know what we could cover next. Um, and thank you for watching. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you, Betsy.